0: You've tuned in to Badla for Better, a podcast by Beam Medical Systems, saving lives through reliable and innovative technology. Hosted by Jaisal Doshi. Hello and welcome to our episode of Badla for Better. Badla for Better, as you know, is our attempt at making positive changes in India's healthcare ecosystem through small conversations that can create a ripple impact. Today, We are going to talk a lot about medical devices in India, medical technology, innovation, and the role of the private sector. I'm very excited and honored to have Mr. Pawan Chaudhary with us. Pawan is not just a CEO, but also a public intellectual, a best-selling author, and a keynote speaker. He advises many business leaders and families achieve more in life and in business using research-driven theories and real-life examples. He is the CEO of Vygon India since 1998. Vygon is a French multinational company. He's also the trustee of the Lal Bahadur Shastri National Memorial Trust, the trustee of Bharatiya Videsh Niti Parishad, chairman of the Blue Circle, chairman Medical Technology Association of India, also known as MTi, and a member of the Advisory Board of Executive Access and the Rajiv Gandhi Cancer Institute. Pawan, thank you so much for being here and giving us your precious time.
1: Thank you, Jay sir. It's a pleasure.
0: You started your career in Indian healthcare back in the late 80s. Tell us, how did this journey start? What was it like back then?
1: Let me go back to the time when we started, when I started. My start was not a glamorous start. And uh, perhaps the reason for that was that though I had a very uh, prestigious degree in pharmaceuticals, B Pharmacy from Sagar University. My management degree was from not one of the best institutes for some reasons, and that was the Shimla Management School in Himachal Pradesh University. It was it is it was not a bad school, but it was not so well known. Plus. I felt perhaps a little inadequate because of not coming from a prestigious business school, and maybe that's why I um, I reconciled to starting with a small company called Jackson Paul. Of course, it grew uh, grew well, and it has recently changed hands. Also, I was. Um, So after that, I went to the field of advertising, where again, I remember I went to an ex-colleague of mine from school or some institute, uh, a farmer, I I don't remember where, who was already in advertising. And uh, though I had product management exposure in Jackson Paul, which was a very good breeding ground for me, frankly. Uh, When I asked him what position I should apply, he said account executive because he was himself an account executive. Actually, I could have been even account director at that time. Uh, So that is where I started. So how was it back then? It was, let me tell you, a lot of struggle. And I used to always compare myself with the uh, creme de la creme of uh, institutes. So... It was a lot of struggle. and uh, But I, I really prepared. In fact, my real preparation for the business sector started after my post-graduation. When I joined the com- uh, the corporate sector and I realized that the uh, I.M. Ahmedabad and the Harvard and Stanford schools of businesses, they are running on a different track. And I, it was not acceptable to me. So I really slogged and um, my career stabilized um, uh, after uh, lintas and govan in uh, advertising my career mainly stabilized in in uh, cadilla group zidas healthcare group where i learned a lot also i shared a lot because i was full of learnings and uh, then then in dabar where i was behind some uh, I was one among the team behind the launches of several very big products like Honeydust, etc. I also came with my first book which was called The Rx Factor, which was a critically acclaimed book in the field of uh, healthcare marketing and advertising. And then that book also uh, propelled my career. And I found myself at 32, the youngest CEO of a multinational in India, a small multinational, but the youngest CEO, and I had bridged the gap. Uh, so, But it was a very tough time in the beginning, and uh, I, wasn't, I was never sure that I will reach that uh, uh, position or uh, even become a CEO ever. So that's how it started.
0: So did I hear you correctly that you became CEO at 32?
1: Yeah, at 32.
0: I, I think this is fascinating because for a lot of our young listeners out there, you know, they have an aspiration that I want to get into an I am Ahmedabad or I am ABC or some other prestigious school. And they feel that their world comes to an end when they don't get in. But I think just listening to you, I think would be very inspiring for a lot of them. Because uh, despite, as you said, not getting into one of the most prestigious business schools, you actually became CEO at the age of 32 and after working in some very big names like Zydus and and Dabur. So I think kudos to you. And again, I think it's my turn to feel a little bit uh, intimidated right now talking to you. But, uh, you know, you've had a long journey for over three decades entirely in the private sector. How do you think the role of the private sector has changed from back in the 80s to now?
1: Yeah. Just to complete the part which you uh, kind of provoked, I feel that there are many advantages also of not coming from a a prestigious school because a prestigious school might breed some bit of arrogance, some bit of very quick turnover from jobs because you're so much in demand. It might also breed some bit of rat race kind of a mentality, which might not allow you to see outside the tunnel. Uh, so, uh, this is just so that those people you just referred to like me, JSL, are not disheartened. Uh, and they also participate in the race of life, uh, thinking that even if they are not coming from the top schools, they might be bringing some uh, differential talent which can make them fly. Private sector, when I started, was not held in such high esteem. Government jobs was what people looked at with admiration, with awe. That was the aspirational space. And private sector was a junior cousin. Let me also say not only a junior cousin, a kind of uh, deficient cousin. You go to that sector when you can't make it to the other big sector, the IES, the IPS streams but this was not unique to india all over the world the private sector has taken time to come to the same level of respect as the other sectors earlier it was the generals and the bureaucrats who were in demand generals for plunder and occupation of new territory bureaucrats for dividing the spoils and administering the businessman was not there on the same table. In fact, Napoleon pointed towards UK and said that let us defeat this nation of shopkeepers, meaning shopkeepers was something to be looked down on. However, today, business and commerce and finance has come to the centre of the table. And uh, so private sector uh, ...has really seen a lot of travel since the time I joined. If any uh, country does not give adequate space to the businessman... ...the businessman quietly takes his capital to another country and invests there. So, businessmen are really changing the world and private sector has seen a leap of prestige... Over the three decades that I have been
0: in the sector. Well, it's fascinating your comparison uh, also with generals. And I, I can fully understand uh, back in the 80s, you know, that uh, everybody wanted a government job. And really getting a job in a company would have been, uh, as you said, uh, the second cousin or the less favored cousin. But uh, even today, what does exist is this sort of, especially in healthcare this sort of lingering suspicion and I'll give you an example this morning I was at IIT Delhi and we were at this panel discussion and we had uh, I was the only individual from a for-profit background and you could see that in the for example in the space of immunization within healthcare if you are from a for-profit background you seem to be considered a bit of a taboo and because immunization largely is a government subject, a role, a subject which not for profits play, and so even though all the vaccines are manufactured by and large by private companies, there always is this suspicion. And, and uh, my question to you is, you know, you've you've lived through this for decades now. Why do you think this suspicion exists, and what can the private sector do to change this perception? So
1: the private sector is still seen with some level of suspicion and i think this is because of different lenses which may be justified or irrelevant in viewing the private sector so let us let me talk about the justified lens there is some element of a mischief which is which some companies engage in and because of which, all of the private sector may get colored in that with that brush. And the second is over-obsequious behavior. When you forget the executive norms of behavior, the other side might think that you might be doing something wrong. That is why you are behaving so deferringly. Then sometimes expressions which convey a particular person's philosophy or ideology might taint the whole sector. For example, some business businessmen say, even when they are large and self-sufficient, they say. Do paise bana lenge, sir, aap se kya problem. you know these are all expressions which which make the whole, Sector seem as if it is only there to make money. So this is the justified level. Then there may be some unjustified uh, lens also through which the private sector is viewed. One of those lenses is profits. When somebody feels that profits is a bad thing, profiteering may be bad, but you cannot do good without doing well. You cannot. Save sinking people, people who are drowning. If your boat itself is leaking, you can't feed from an empty vessel. So profits are necessary. There might be some level of jealousy also. Like a private sector person may be jealous of a bureaucrat that he gets so much respect and status. Similarly, the bureaucrat may be jealous of the private sector person because of the salary which i might he might be drawing because of the lifestyle he might be leading so these are these are actually normal things and uh, but they are they are real and they do not exist between the private and the public sector they exist between professionals and businessmen also professionals feel the businessmen are not very well-educated, may not have that much moral character, etc. Businessmen may, may, men may feel, oh, these professionals are what we hire, we, we they work for us. They are not the same level as us. So, this kind of uh, 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 mutual, uh, let me say mutual uh, uh, disregard or mutual suspicion has to be reduced over uh, going going forward, and I'm sure actually I see it happening in that in the coming generation of bureaucrats and even the enlightened bureaucrats of today and the enlightened businessmen of today, they are developing respect for each other because they are seeing both sides contribute significantly in ma- making the nation and its populace move forward.
0: You've tuned in to the eighth episode of Bad love for Better, an Indian healthcare story. So I loved your analogy of businessmen and professionals and I I can so see that and I I would you know urge our listeners those in the private sector that you know especially when you're in the private sector in healthcare you need to be a little bit more mindful of how you act what you say. I think yes profit of course is important as it ensures sustainability but you also need to realize uh, and acknowledge that we are in the business of saving lives. And that is more important than any sort of profit. And I think also equally for those in the public sector or not-for-profit, uh, I think Pawan's uh, request is don't color us in the same uh, color and you know judge us by what we do, what we say, as opposed to just tainting us with a private sector sort of image. So, uh, fascinating uh, Pawan. But I'd, I'd like to move a little bit to a different uh, topic you know, today healthcare is incredibly important, especially post the pandemic. India is emerging as one of the poster child uh, for healthcare. But even within healthcare, I think, you know, previously people used to think healthcare is pharma, it's hospitals and, and nursing. But I personally believe med tech, uh, the medical technology, medical device industry is huge. Recently, the government of India has also released a very, very ambitious national medical devices policy. Perhaps you might have even authored part of it. Uh, so there is a very critical role for the medtech industry and in particular for India to capitalize on this opportunity. In your opinion, are we ready to exploit this as a country? Are we? What do we need to do that we don't miss this opportunity as the government says to create the medical device or med tech industry to a 50 billion industry in a few years.
1: So let me just finish the last point because your your comment added some new thought to it when I was speaking about the private sector and the public sector. My appeal to both the sectors is to look at each other through lenses and please apply the right kind of lens while viewing different companies or different people or different bureaucrats it should be different lenses not a corneal transplant which you know which makes you kind of have a stereotype typical image of a sector or a space the second was that jesus christ when it is uh, this is an allegory and anecdote when he rose from the dead when he was resurrected he was asked by his disciples what we should do, and he said that go, lamp uh, light the lamp of knowledge, and uh, give the extend the hand of healing. That means he said go into education and healthcare. So this is this is why actually these are the two most important areas for me: healthcare, as you know, and um, I fully agree with what you are saying that when we are. Going as healthcare companies, we should be going to do well to do good, both together. Regarding the point which you made uh, uh, as to how the medical technology industry is faring and what are the opportunities, the opportunities are immense. First of all, every pandemic spotlights the medical technology sector. And this has been for centuries, three centuries ago. Pandemics were thought to arise because of fumes which rise from the soil. So what was the medical technology that was discovered at that time? The soil was paved with flagstones, as you see in Europe, hundreds of square kilometers of soil is paved with uh, flagstones.
0: So, that explains why we have such beautiful cobblestone roads in Europe.
1: Exactly. That explains. That is medical technology. It was dubious. It was a dubious miasma theory. But, that was the medical technology which was given because when the uh, when the plagues used to come, there was no medicine for it, like today. Then, powder rooms came. As the germ theory developed, people understood that these things travel from one to another. So, because the uh, ice boys and the coal uh, vendors used to come every day to your home to deliver ice or coal, and people thought that they are carrying the germs. So, powder rooms came into the architecture of homes where they can be scrubbed clean near the door, only, exit door only. Wow. And then, during the Spanish flu, it was clear it is germ theory, so the mask came. This time, it was the ventilator, which was the hero. So medical technology sector really gets a big spotlight whenever a plague breaks out. So that is reason one. Second reason is that this Narendra Modi's government uh, is deeply interested in this sector. This is the government which understands this sector also the most and I think I have reasons strong reasons to believe that this is this understanding is percolating downwards from the highest office. Then China plus 1 option has come up because of the changing geopolitics that in Asia all multinationals should have a China plus 1 destination for manufacturing. And Medtech is ...becoming a sector which will sustain your sovereignty. It has become an essential sector. And it is spilling onto other sectors also. So the opportunity for that reason is great. Today MedTech is even spilling into the defense. Because a medical device can be hacked or a malware can be planted. So keeping all these things in mind, the opportunity is immense. However... The challenges are over-regulation, price control, over-protectionism. The domestic and the global currents have to be harnessed together. Only when they are harnessed together, we will be able to really optimally utilize the opportunity which we have.
0: You are listening to Badla for Better, a podcast by B Medical Systems. Saving lives through reliable and innovative technology. Jaisal Dwara hosted. I fully understand and appreciate where you're coming from. Because I I think as a country, we cannot say, yes, we will make cheap, low-quality products for India and we will make high-quality, but more expensive products for the world. I think we need to have one policy and one quality because what should be there for, let's say, a citizen in France should be the same, or the US or anywhere else in the world should be the same quality that we should be offering to our citizens in India. Having, having that said, uh, of course, I think, uh, you know, to, to immunize or, or diagnose, for example, 300 million people in the United States versus 1.4 billion people in India is, is a completely different challenge. India is even larger than the European Union put together. So when you think about that and you apply the quality lens and the global as well as domestic lens put together, how do you think we could actually, or what do we need to do to make sure that we get the latest in surveillance and diagnosis and in treatment down to the last mile to each and every village of our country?
1: Very good point. In fact, I am reminded of Schumacher. Schumacher is this great author who has written the book Buddhist Economics. He came up with the idea that for developing countries or underdeveloped world, good enough quality should be okay. You should not go for top quality. But when his idea was tested, economists, you Unequivocally said that people are not, people in the developing world or on the underdeveloped world are not content with good enough quality. They are taking good enough quality to mean as if quality for the poor people. <laughs> and they want really top quality, and that is what you are saying. And in healthcare, there is no compromise. Nobody wants to compromise on quality in healthcare. So the same quality should be available across the world. Regarding the burden of uh, disease and the burden of the population. Yeah, in India, there is a very, uh, this is a huge, huge task before us. In fact, my most recent example, and I have, uh, I get to know such things every week, if not every day that a hospital owner friend of mine told me that in his outreach program his hospital van goes to the various colonies and in one such colony he they found a, an old man about 70 years of age lying in the porch in an awkward position. They ignored uh, him and moved. After, on two, three days they They realized on the subsequent trips that there was stuff coming around him, mattress, pillow, some food to eat, etc. Then they became curious that why is he lying in the porch? So they they went close to him and then they realized that his bone, femur of the leg is broken at a right angle. And they asked him that You have been lying like this for the last three, four days? When did this happen? He says, four days ago. But now my family is giving me food, etc. So they inquired from the head of the family there, his son, that why don't you take him to the hospital? The femur is broken and he must be in deep pain. He said that I don't have the money to take him. Secondly, if I have to take him, I will not be able to go for my job. And then who will bring the money to keep the lights on and uh, he has himself not done so much for us or he could not do so much for us so should we look uh, should we penalize the whole family in looking after him so these are very important points and these are points which not only the uh, the old generation the across the spectrum you find this want. And we have to find ways through greater resource allocation. In fact, we are also going to appeal internationally for greater resource allocation, human resource allocation, infrastructure, new technology like telemedicine and other uh, technologies like IoT, etc., to be able to handle this. And even when we have all this, it is a Herculean task but we should still take the first step.
0: No, and I I, I think this this story that you describe of the old man with a broken femur, it's so vivid. I mean, one just has to imagine something like this, and I think it should naturally call for all resources possible to make sure that we can provide care at the point of care where it's needed, at the highest quality levels. So, I, I... I think it, it is really sad to see such stories still exist but hopefully you know with our listeners and with Padla For Better this is our humble attempt to try and articulate these stories with an aim to create positive change you by the way you also mentioned Buddhist Economics by Schumacher one of the things I do on this podcast in every episode is make a recommendation of a book on this one I'd like to thank you because you've done the hard work for me you also mentioned at the very end right now, you spoke about IoT, uh, you spoke about telemedicine, and sometime back you spoke about uh, defense and how you know defense uh, today can be hacked, especially on healthcare. All of these uh, brings me to a very, to a different but a very important topic, which is around data and privacy challenges that can impact patient privacy, data security, compliance with regulations? How can we, as the medical technology industry, continue leveraging data in a useful way, without compromising on privacy security concerns? How is the medtech industry, or even, let's say, the larger healthcare sector in India, addressing some of these concerns?
1: So, great point, and I'll just come to it. But I will would like to speak about your podca- podcast. I agree with you that this narration, when it was shared with me, it was spine chilling. But when you shared that you are also sharing such stuff on your podcast, I'm really, really very happy about that and I had goosebumps. These goosebumps could be also because of the beautiful AC which is there and I love it. But on on a more serious note, I think that more and more of people like you should take this voice forward that why India should not only be looked at as a market but also looked as a cradle, as a crèche, where you should engage to bring in certain services or certain life-saving procedures at rates which are affordable Uh, And while I'm saying this, I am thinking how the companies which I am associated with can do it. I'm not saying that we are still doing it, but this this realization is arising because of narratives like this, which we come across. Privacy doesn't make a very big noise in India. But security does. Data security is a big issue. Because data security, if your data goes in the wrong hands, then it becomes a problem. It can be misused. Also, there is a movement on that the data imprint, which we have through our daily movement, uh, through our daily digital or physical movement, should be your own property. Data storage is also a very big issue. But data security in medical devices hits a roadblock. The roadblock is the size of the device and the battery life. If the size of the device is very small and the battery life then of course is limited, then data security becomes a challenge. But technology will find an answer. New technology like blockchain, etc., is trying to help us find ways to preserve your data authenticate it uh, find origins etc uh, through these advances in technology many of the companies of medical technology Association of india are at the front lines in this they are uh, they are extending the horizons uh, of uh, an illuminating uh, illuminating spaces which are dark yet they are raising the caliber of the dialogue we are engaged with the government and many think tanks in india and abroad talking about this the policy wing of medical technology association of india is also very active in this space
0: so it's it's great to hear this because these are the kind of conversations that a common person seldom gets access to you know but there is a lot of work that associations such as the medical technology association of india other think tanks are doing to ensure that you know, patient data remains safe, remains secure, even if you as a patient do not care much about it right now.
1: Absolutely. It's a very, very, very big issue. And um, uh, good point is that this uh, this government is quite technologically savvy. And uh, they are understanding these issues. There's a new bill which is going to come up very soon. And already uh, other steps are being taken in the... Uh, data center, space, etc. So that data of India stays in India or at least in secure location. It is friend-shored and it is not randomly offshored.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Pawan, I think we can go on forever but uh, unfortunately, we do have a time constraint which brings me to my last question. You are wearing multiple hats, all of which are almost uh, more than day jobs in themselves. How do you balance all of these roles? And the last question is, What finally gives you the greatest sense of achievement?
1: I can balance all these roles because I have amazing support in my family and I have an amazing staff in all the companies I lead. My greatest sense of achievement comes from learning and sharing and eclectic learning. So functionally, I'm most interested in strategy, culture, marketing, and advertising topically I'm most interested in wisdom sector wise I'm most interested of course in healthcare but also renewables and defence because these sectors are now all playing together healthcare renewables and defence are playing together my biggest um, uh, because let me say there are, you said many hats I'm wearing yes I think I'm wearing too many hats I should get rid of some of them so that I get more time to learn and share and my greatest satisfaction comes uh, through writing writing is food for the soul I'm not get, getting enough time to do it so that is something which I should uh, focus a little more on so that's 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 where things stand right now JSL. it was a pleasure being with you on the on your podcast
0: thank you so much Pawan and I would say true words coming from a true leader you know ascribing all your success to your family and to your team and also focusing on working hard and most importantly being a lifelong learner so on that note uh, this brings us to an end of yet another episode of Badla for Better thank you so much for listening in thank you you were listening to Badla for Better an Indian healthcare story a podcast by B Medical Systems, saving lives through reliable and innovative technology. Hosted by Jaisal Doshi.